Was there significance in Jesus rolling up the headcloth at the tomb? Find out on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and a shield of uh, Christian apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bill Tour Christie Podcast, and this is yours truly, your host today, Brian Chilton. And we uh, starting off the podcast with the classic song from Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, the resurrection song, and a beautiful, beautiful song, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, Mel Gibson is actually uh, just looking to do a sequel uh, and in fact I think they're actually uh, recording the movie now or producing the movie now if I'm not mistaken it's going to be on the resurrection of Jesus and my understanding is that it is going to be a remarkable film and something uh, that is uh, it's something that you're not going to want to miss when it comes available uh, to theaters movie theaters near you so uh, that's something I'm definitely looking forward to see and uh, it's sure to be a powerful powerful film well, today we are in full uh, full Easter season, getting ready for uh, Holy Week coming up here in a couple of weeks, and Easter uh, coming up in a couple, a few Sundays from now. and And if you're like me, this is uh, usually the churches where I've served. This is usually a very busy time of the year, uh, getting everything ready for the Easter season, as well as it should be. And I, and I've said before, and I've said oftentimes uh, that Christmas is a very important season, uh, very important indeed. But I think that Easter is um, is equally important. Is in fact probably more important 
in the history of the church. Uh, yeah, the incarnation, incarnation is, is uh, important, but from the very earliest days of the Christian church, uh, Easter was the most important holiday of all. And uh, and something that I think we need to take very seriously. It seems to me that um, it seems to me that uh, that uh, um, for whatever reason, um, just to let you know, I'm trying. I'm actually trying to go live here on the uh, um, trying to go live here on the YouTube channel. But for whatever reason, we're having technical difficulties, and it is not wanting to. Uh, cooperate. So, want to try to record a, a, um, a recorded session and and try to have it available whenever it's uh, ready to go. But I, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with it. But uh, it is um, <laughs> being a little con, con, uh, combative uh, this 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 time around uh, for whatever reason. But anyhow, uh, we'll try to have the recording. It may not even work. I don't know, but, uh, but, but hopefully it, it will. But going, uh, anyhow, moving forward enough about that. Uh, but, uh, do I want to talk about a, a, an article that I had, uh, recently written for Bellator Christie. I'm, I've, I'm submitted it for, to the Christian post. I hope it's going to run on the pr- Christian post, uh, here very soon. Um, but you know that's court obviously up to them. But this actually come from a question from a, a friend on Facebook uh, asking about a um, asking about a, a tradition or a something she had heard online about uh, a some type of a tradition, Jewish tradition related to the resurrection of Jesus, and or actually related to mealtime. And it said, according to this uh, tradition, that if you were to uh, eat a meal and you were to uh, toss the napkin aside, it meant that you were finished with the meal. However, if you took the napkin and you folded it neatly and you put it, tucked it over to the side away from the plate, then that would mean that uh, that you're not finished, uh, that you're finished for the moment, you're, but you're going to be back to, to finish the meal. And according to the story circulating online, uh, the story links this tr- tradition to the headcloth of Jesus, uh, which was placed over to the side. Uh, John 20, verse 7 in the King James Version says that, uh, that Peter and John, if the beloved disciple is the writer of the fourth gospel, which I believe it is, so I believe that the gospel of John was written by the apostle John. Okay, so whenever he's using the term "beloved disciple," he's referring to himself. Quite, quite honestly, you know, and this isn't the topic of conversation today. But quite honestly, I think that's the only thing that fits. Now, I've heard I've heard the arguments for other individuals being the author of the fourth gospel, but it really just doesn't hold for for me. It doesn't hold the way uh, it uh, would for um, for the apostle John. And so, uh, so anyhow, I, I think quite honestly, quite clearly, in my opinion, John the Apostle is the writer of the fourth gospel. So that would be eyewitness testimony that he's recording there. But anyhow, in the King James Version, they say that, uh, that Peter and John runs to, they run to the tomb. Uh, John gets there because he's younger, gets there first before Peter. Uh, I, th- I thought about this just today. Uh, our associate pastor led up a campaign to, uh, to, uh, to, 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 Anyhow, to, to, to help a, a local uh, area, local uh, school, and so uh, to provide a meal for them. And so I was helping him load load the stuff uh, there, and he he is 
I didn't realize, it didn't even dawn on me till just today when I was thinking about this that I'm probably old enough to be his dad because uh, I'm, I'm about twice his age. <laughs> and I was thinking as we were loading that thing, boy, I was out of breath. And, and boy, he was able to just to keep going. And so I can kind of sympathize with Peter here in this instance where John outruns Peter to the tomb. Uh, <laughs> John got there first and he looked in and he believed. And which is a very in- interesting uh, concept by looking at the grave cloths that John John believed. But anyhow, they investigate the tomb and saw, and I quote, the napkin that was about Jesus' head, uh, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in, in a place by itself. So here again, according to this uh, story online, this Jewish tradition about the mealtime, the folding of the napkin uh, relates to the folding of the napkin that was around Jesus' head, and by folding it neatly, placing it to the side, it was a way of saying that uh, Jesus was going to say that, uh, that I'm done for now, but I'm coming back. The big question that uh, a friend of mine online, uh, Joy uh, Briggs, asked online, uh, she was asking the question, is there any uh, truth to this this story? Um, is is there any evidence that uh, there was a Jewish tradition uh, related to this? And uh, she she's asking the question: Is there any relevance? Uh, is there any pertinence to this story? Can, does it really hold? And well, I, I found I found the story heartwarming, and I, if it is true, I think it would be very fascinating. And obviously, it's something that's been passed around in many churches. I had actually heard of this in a church, uh, a pastor using this in a church once before. But when I began re- researching this issue, uh, then I, I began finding things that didn't quite mesh well with this story being circulated online. And I want to give you uh, three reasons why I don't think that this that this story is is true. I do think that Jesus wrapping the headcloth to the side, I think that's true. The biblical the b- biblical story is very true. But my my problem is more along the lines with this internet um, story that's being passed along uh, relating this mealtime a tradition with the headcloth of Jesus being placed to the side. There are three reasons why I don't think it's associated, but I do think that the historical things behind the story actually presents a more fascinating look at the resurrection event. In fact, something that I had never really considered before investigating this. So let's take a look at the three three reasons why I don't think that this that this uh, that this story holds, and three things that I think we find three or four reasons, three or four fascinating details we find about the resurrection actually because of this headcloth. So first and foremost, something that needs to be mentioned is the headcloth was not a napkin. Okay, so the mere association between a mealtime tradition and the resurrection event, which is in a you know in a tomb, uh, a burial practice, which he overcame death, uh, mealtime and and the burial practices are, are really like apples and oranges. They're they're two very different things, and I don't know that there's a correlation that can be met. You know, and, I, and this is one of those things you hear the story and you really don't question it, and you think, yeah, maybe it's some, there's something to it. But really, when I started even thinking about the story, the mealtime tradition and the burial tradition, they really don't even go together. To, to really think about that, you know, they really don't go go together. But here's the problem: 
With all due respect to the King James Version, this is not a knock on the King James Version. I have a lot of friends who are you know, big fans of the King James. Uh, my only problem is the King James Only movement. That's, that's where I have issues. But uh, with all due respect to the King James Version, napkin is probably not the best translation of the term uh, used in, in the original Greek text, which was sudarion. Uh, so Darion indicates a small piece of cloth which could be used as a towel, a napkin, a handkerchief, or a face cloth. A lot of times when, when, I, when I talk to people about Greek and Hebrew terms, and, and by, by all means, by no means am I an expert on this. I know enough to be dangerous. Okay, I know enough Greek and Hebrew to be dangerous. I can semi-read through some Greek texts, more so Greek than Hebrew, uh, but I can read through some texts in Hebrew. I can read through some texts in, in Greek. Um, after I finish my PhD work, this is an area I hope to beef up a little more um, after I finish my, my training in the PhD program. But uh, Sudarion... So in other words, going back to a Greek word can mean different things, a Hebrew word can mean different things, but the same thing happens with the English language. For instance, you can use the term, I always use this illustration, the term bank. You can use the term bank to refer to a financial institution, or you can use the term bank to refer to a side of a river or something of that sort, um, or, or, or the tilting of an airplane, or something of that sort. So the, even the term bank itself can have several different meanings. Well, the same thing is true with sedarion. You know the meaning of a term many times by the context in which it's used. Sedarion can mean a napkin, can mean a towel, a handkerchief, or a face, face cloth, or a head wrapping. So when you look at the context of how it's being used, then the only thing that really fits is a head cloth, a head covering. And uh, there actually is, I think, the Sedarium of Aveo, I, I believe, is, is, is thought by many to be this very head cloth that covered Jesus' head. Um, so, yeah, but the Sedarion we see in John's text fits, fits well with the idea of that the cloth covered the head of Jesus and uh, was was itself laid to the side. The Christian Standard Bible, I think in this case, provides a better translation. Uh, as it says, the wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. Now, this the whole aspect of it being folded up brings to, to together another question that I have. According to this internet story, the 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 sedarion the head covering was wrapped neatly or folded neatly and placed to the side. Well, here's another issue: the head cloth was rolled and not folded. Okay. Now, even the C the CSB uses the term folded. I think the King James uses the same term as well. But here's the part of the problem: the the term um, into liso. I guess is, I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Into liso. See, it seems to fit better with a notion of being rolled. Okay, this this action into liso, according to Lau and Nita, uh, or Nida, indicates the action of to call something to be in the shape of a roll, to roll up something kind of like a scroll. Okay, so the term is used in Revelation six fourteen, where the sky is said to into liso roll be rolled up like a scroll. Okay. The neat folding of the headcloth as implied by the mealtime tradition, even if the tradition 
is true, even if there is a mealtime tradition, doesn't quite fit the context of this story because the intuliso action being taken place is not a neat folding as uh, as you fold a piece of paper, but it's to roll it up like a scroll or to, to, to circle it together, to roll it up um, and then to neatly roll it up and then place it to the side. So this brings a third issue with this internet uh, story. And, and I'm, I'm just going to give a disclaimer here. There are a lot of Jewish traditions. I was li- listening to Michael Brown's podcast just the other day, and he said something very similar to this, and he's more knowledgeable on Jewish traditions than I am, uh, be, being that he is a Christian Jewish believer, a Messianic Jewish believer. There, he, there is no evidence. Uh, so let me go back to what I was saying. Uh, there are a lot of Jewish traditions. There are a lot of Jewish traditions, both oral traditions and written traditions. Okay? The, the death nail to what could be the death nail to this legend, no pun intended, is that there seems to be no evidence that such a Jewish mealtime tradition existed in the first century. Now, there may be something out there, and, and if you're out there and you know this tradition, you know the reference to this tradition, by all means, shoot me an email. Send me an email, uh, send, me, send, me, send me a text or something like that, saying, and give me the reference where it can be found. But nothing I found, and I spent quite a bit of time uh, researching, researching this, I found nothing. I found absolutely nothing related to this mealtime tradition. So, again, there may be a tradition out there that I just didn't see, but from what I could tell, there was nothing in, in no Jewish tradition that I could find that seemed to match uh, this thing that's being proclaimed online. So that would, in all honesty, uh, in all honesty, I think there are other reasons to believe that there's n- the correlation does not exist between a mealtime tradition and the wrapping of the head headcloth. But even if there were were to be a mealtime tradition, um, that was even if there were to be a mealtime tradition, if there wasn't even a mealtime tradition then the whole story collapses. It loses its foundation. So, again, there may be something out there that I've just not seen, that I haven't discovered, and if you know of a tradition, you know this tradition, then by all means, send me an email, let me know, and I'll come on the podcast and, and give the reference to it You know that you send me. But but don't just say that it does exist, because so-and-so told you so. I, I, need, the, I need the reference. I need the evidence to, to be able to go on the air and say that... Um, that it does exist. So, from what I could tell, I didn't see anything. So, but I do think that this whole this whole story. I don't want to leave you just with a negative, and not provide a positive in this case. I do think that the story we find uh, with the rolling of the head the head cloth actually provides actually provides a different uh, perspective on the resurrection event. I think there are three things that just really popped out at me about this whole entire case. First of all, the body was clearly resurrected and not merely resuscitated. Something miraculous happened for the rolled headcloth to have been placed in a separate location than the other linens. I mean, the, the body of Jesus wasn't fully embalmed by this time because due to the Passover scenario, uh, being late in the Passover day, or the Passover getting ready to start, excuse me, uh, they weren't able to do all the things that were, would normally be done to um, to prepare the body for burial. But having said that, uh, Jesus would still have been bound in these different cloths. Uh, and uh, and so... so for him to be able to get out of that, 
I think shows something miraculous took ha- miraculous happened. I mean, Lazarus and hit the case with Lazarus. Lazarus had to be unbound from the cloths that enclosed his body, and we see that in John eleven verses forty three through forty four. And it's very funny, I think, because it almost as if Jesus is saying release him let him go if you don't release him then he's going to die again and i'm going to, have to raise him back from the dead again if you don't you know everybody was there in awe and wondered looking that this lazarus who'd been dead four days was now alive and jesus is saying hey listen you need to get him out of the cloths or he's going to die again he's going to suffocate again get him out of the cloths so the fact that jesus was able to return to life to be able to get out of these cloths somehow or another uh, and, and be able to take this head cloth and place it to the side is very remarkable, a very remarkable thing, uh, which indicates that something very spectacular happened with the resurrection event, something that is not the norm by any stretch of the imagination. Secondly, the body, it seems like, from, from the way I understood this Greek text in, in looking at the original languages, it seems as if the body would have been would have would have had to come through the cloths with the head wrapping, which is weird. <laughs> it's it's very weird to think about this. This it seems like the 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 cloths that had enclosed his body remained in the shape that they were found. So it's like they remain in the shape they were found, but the head cloth, head covering, came out with Jesus as he must have went through. I kind of envision, if you're on the YouTube channel, like say, you know, one hand is the cloth and one hand is the body, almost as if the body just came through the cloth somehow or another. It's a very, it suggests a very otherworldly event, a very ethereal event, something where God established a new set of physics, almost uh, to 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 link the the spiritual and the and the physical in, in an amazing new, new union, and and that to me is remarkable. I think just this fact alone is is very interesting, very intriguing, showing that this resurrected body is a physical body, but it has a whole new set of characteristics. That, uh, that that a normal physical body doesn't have. Okay, it's very still very physical, but it's 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 kind of an an other another type of physical body, taking the physical body that was there and transforming it into something even grander. Um, and I think that that shows evidence, uh, possible evidence that such a thing happened. And thirdly, the body of Jesus was was wrapped in more than one cloth. Now, I'm going to in full disclosure, I do believe. You know, and if it were proven, if I were proven to be wrong, then it was it wouldn't shake my faith. But it would take a remarkable amount of evidence to, to to the contrary to show that it's not. I believe that the shroud of Turin is the authentic burial cloth of Jesus. The more they study this thing, the more bizarre it come becomes. I mean, there there it, it seems to be that the markings on the cloth. Are, are an x-ray type of marking that m- most likely came from some type of radiation. There's a paper out there, um, and I may do a podcast on that sometime, a paper out there that Dr. Habermas gave us, uh, or, or uh, that he showed us where to find it, um, um, that shows the, the belief and in, in, in good reasons behind believing that uh, the image on the cloth on the Shroud of Turin are burn marks. Uh, that was left behind. That were left behind. Uh, something, some type of high dose of radiation. The blood stains are 
or AB hemoglobin. Uh, it's actual authentic blood stains. Uh, so I mean, it's it's remarkable. I mean, the one thing that another thing they have de- definitively proven is that the markings on the shroud they're not paintings. It's not a painting. They don't know what it, you know. Someone may not know what it is, but they know what it's not. It's definitely not a painting. It has no elements of pigment on there whatsoever, as far as uh, any type of painting. I mean, now there'll be shows out there that may try to say to the contrary, but from those who've worked with the shroud, those who've been at ground zero, who've done the heavy lifting in this regard, they will tell you that it is not a painting. Uh, they're burn marks, very thin too, very only a few fibers deep. But very intriguing, and the more they study this thing, the the, the more bizarre it come, becomes. In fact, uh, uh, so I believe as Dr. Habermas was saying that, or someone was saying, if, whether if it may not have been him, but someone was saying that that the even around the mouth there you see these little digits, and if you look closely, people have wondered what they are. Well, it's actually an X-ray image of the mouth. Uh, in fact, one one person took it to a, a dentist. And showed it to a dentist, and the dentist said, "That's the best set of X-rays I've ever seen in my life." So, so whatever produced this was a power greater than anything we have now to be able to do, much less in the first century. So, anyhow, the the podcast is not on the shroud of turn. But what I have found is that some people will use John's accounts with the different uh, cloths to say. Well, the Shroud of Turin must not have been there because they had these other linen, linen wrappings. Well, if there's one thing we can see from John's account, is that there was more than one cloth. Okay, there was a head cloth, and there were these other cloths. Now, did those other cloths, did, did they include a shroud? They may have or they may not have. Uh, John doesn't say. He just basically says the linen, the linens that enclosed the body... The linen cloths that disclosed, enclosed the body were lying separate in the shape that they were found, uh, and the head covering was wrapped to the side, uh, rolled to the side, and placed next to the linen cloths that had covered his body. So again, there was something very otherworldly that happened here, where Jesus must have came through, he must have come through the linen cloths, uh, and then and rolled up his head covering, placing it to the side. I think uh, that that we see what we see from this story is far more remarkable than an urban legend can ever provide. And while this urban legend is uh, not something that necessarily holds, uh, it's it's not something that ne- that is necessarily true. I do think that the rolling of the head covering to the side next to the linen cloths is something that shows the truly remarkable nature of the resurrection event. So, and the wonderful thing is that the power exhibited by the resurrection is greater than any power known to humanity. Paul notes that just as Jesus had risen from the dead, so shall all of us who have trusted in Christ be raised from the dead in a body very similar to Jesus's, because that's what he means by Jesus being the first fruits of the resurrection. This indicates that this type of resurrection, as I said in the article I'll say here as well, this type of resurrection will be coming to a tomb near you. When Christ returns, the dead in Christ will rise. And 
whatever event took place on that first Easter Sunday, the same thing will happen to the bodies of those who entrust their lives to Jesus Christ. They will be raised just as he was. That's what it means when it says that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. As he was raised from the dead, so shall we. And beloved, I hope that's a truth that you can take with you this Easter Sunday. And, and every day every day before and every day past to remember that just as Jesus was risen, so shall you be risen. This is Brian Chilton, and you've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. We'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash bellatorchristie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas.